help me preach this tonight. But um, let's go ahead. Are we good back there? Okay. How many of you guys have been learning about the book of Revelation? Maybe some things you didn't know before. Well, end time prophecy is important to understand. So let's go ahead and open up a prayer tonight. And those that are joining us, just help me pray as we agree together as a church. Father, we come in Jesus' name and through his blood, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you. We love worship. You know, we love the move of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray with people. We love the anointing. But, Lord, we desperately need the word of the Lord, and we thank you for your word, the power of your word. And, Lord, I pray even right now that your Holy Spirit move upon every person that's going to be listening to this and that every one of us will be good soil for the work of the Holy Spirit tonight. Jesus taught the parable of the seed and the sower. The seed is the word of God, but it has to be on good soil. So, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit even right now to move upon every one of us. Help us just to get captivated and focused on what God is saying to us, that our minds won't be distracted, our hearts won't be disturbed by anything, but, Lord, we'll be locked in and focused on what are you saying. We want to get out of this what we need to get out of it. Help us to have good soil of hearts and minds and our eyes and ears be anointed to be able to see and hear maybe what we couldn't before, but the Holy Spirit helps us to see it and to understand. Lord, grant understanding. And Lord, I ask you that you would speak to me everything that needs to be spoken. It will land in good soil. And Lord, it will be living seeds of truth, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, we ask you that the word of the Lord go out. It'll be like a bright, shining light that will dispel darkness and lies of the enemy. And even tonight, some things we're going to deal with. Lord, let it be like a hammer that's going to break through every stronghold. Let your word go out like a sword that's going to penetrate and get where it needs to go. And let the Holy Spirit just breathe upon this and blow this out among the nations of the world through the internet, other means to get this where it needs to be and accomplishing what it needs to accomplish. Lord, we thank you for it. And let everything be accomplished and in through this time that your will to be done. And we all agree together, as the Bible says, the birds of the air try to steal the seed. We submit this unto you and we resist the devil. We agree together. We bind up everything of the enemy right now in Jesus' name that would try to hinder or distract or oppress or resist this in any way from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. Because the Bible says that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we stand on that and we thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm kind of getting into a little bit different flow tonight. We've been going through chapters. And so I'm going to take this more as the purification. So this is entitled A Deep Consecration of the Bride, okay? This is part 11. And we're looking primarily in Revelation just at one verse, Revelation 19, verse 7. And this says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So there is something to the bride making herself ready, okay? So let me read that again, Revelation 19, 7. Now notice, obviously, this is an end time scenario in Revelation that the marriage has come and the bride has made herself ready. So let me read it one more time. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
So there is a preparation going on. How many of you guys can say that, you know, maybe a couple years ago, things were one way, but you feel that you've gone deeper in Christ right now than where you were a few years ago, that your life is more purified, God's done a deeper work in you, and so that's kind of what I'm talking about tonight. There is a great preparation going on. And then Ephesians 5.25 is talking here to husbands, and it says to love your wives just as Christ also loves the church and gave himself up for her. But look at what it says, so that he might sanctify her. This is talking about Christ and his bride here, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So there is a washing of water, and it says that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So there is this purification. And I want you to notice the washing of the water of the word, but there is a washing with water, because that's primarily what I'm talking about tonight. So again, you see this husband-wife scenario, like a bridegroom and the bride, and you're seeing the bride being purified by the husband. In this case, Christ purifying his true people. All right, and then it, Hebrews 10, 19. I mean, I love this scripture. It says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. I love that because I've studied out the tabernacle so much, and I think a lot of times when you deal with more of a Western type of Gentile mentality about things, I don't think that that's really um, understood with the depth that it could be. But there was a time when the Lord's glory was only in a tabernacle on the earth in one location, and you had to worship at a distance, you know. And now the Bible says that through the blood of Jesus, we're able to go into the Holy of Holies, into the deep place of God's glory. And what's sad is, and I think you guys know this to be the case, the overwhelming majority of Christians have never even been into the Holy of Holies. I would say many of them have not even been in the holy place, having been baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire, getting into that holy place where the gifts are in operation. They haven't even been there, let alone really gotten past the veil in the glory. And that's sad because it's accessible. But I want you to see some things here. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. So as his flesh was mutilated, it rent the veil in the temple so that we have access. And the new and living way is the new covenant. In verse 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, it says, let us draw near with a sincere heart. So understanding that under the law of Moses, you had to bring offerings. The proper translation of the Hebrew word korban is more of an offering than it is a sacrifice because sacrifice has a certain connotation to it that I don't want to get into. But korban means an offering. And it comes from a root word, which means to draw near. And so the mindset was that God's glory dwelled in that holy of holies. And only the sons of Aaron were able to go in even close to that. 
but people could come from far and wide that were in covenant and they could bring their offerings to God and they could draw near to his presence and worship him near his presence but it says this it says we have a high priest let us draw near with a heart full of assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water isn't that powerful so there's something about the blood purifying but there's also something about the washing of the water and that's referenced here isn't it there's a purification there's a cleansing to be able to draw near to God and get into his glory and then 2nd Timothy 2:20 is a really interesting scripture here it says this now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels but there's also vessels of wood and earthenware like clay so picture here Paul being from a Hebrew background at this time so there would have been vessels of gold and silver that would have been set aside for special times like the Sabbath Passover things like that they were special and they kind of like fine China today they would be brought out at special times but there was things that were made of wood and clay that were just used every day you know just slap your piece of pizza on it throw it in the microwave right that type of thing and so he was saying here that in a large house there's gold and silver vessels but there's also vessels of wood and earthenware some to honor and some to dishonor therefore look at this if anyone cleanses himself from these things he will be a vessel of honor sanctified and useful to the master prepared for every good work so there is something to what it says here therefore if anyone cleanses himself from these things so there is something where there's like a deep consecration there's a purification that you can become a vessel of honor once we accept the Lord everybody has all this sin in their past and all of a sudden you've been born again the Holy Spirit lives in you you start feeling convicted about things you never felt bad about before y'all know what I'm talking about all of a sudden you just can't do the things you used to do a lot of the old friends start fading away every and it's like you're going through this process where God is sanctifying us he's changing us we begin to hunger the, for the things of God we never had that before now we're hungry to know the word we're hungry to come to God's house you know we love to worship we want the presence of God in our lives we begin to desire the things of God and we begin to lose our taste for the sinful past and it's a process you go through and but the Lord said this through Paul he said if you will cleanse yourself from all these old things you can become a vessel of honor useful to the master but that implies that not everybody will go all the way through that that some will still keep some of their issues and they won't be those that are vessels of honor and something else that as we go through this time I just really encourage people during this time here we are entering a fast for 14 days we only do this a couple times a year corporately and there's something about when we come together in unification one heart and one mind and I make a list of things we're believing for so we're all praying the same thing the Bible says 
If, if two agree on earth is touching something. In other words, we're all in unity about what we're praying about. It's all unified, right? We're together. We're all praying and fasting about the same thing. But I encourage you during this time to ask the Lord, show me whatever needs to be purified out of me as an individual. Help me see what I didn't see before. Because when you're fasting, it helps you to see things that you didn't before. You remember how Daniel was praying and fasting for 21 days and the angel Gabriel came to him and gave him great revelation now he said on the day that you began your fast your prayers were heard but he was fighting some spiritual warfare in the heavens but when Gabriel got there the prayer and fasting of Daniel was connected to great revelation that came to Daniel does that make sense so God will give you revelation ask him Lord I want to be a vessel of honor is there any person that I need to forgive? Is there anything I need to confess or repent of or things I need to see that I couldn't see before? I want you to purify me during this season. And then we come together corporately, and it's all about humility, isn't it? You know, as we humble ourselves in prayer and fasting, and we're giving an offering to the Lord going into this, this fall feast time, we're going to have a conference, and we, we bring our offering, and and we're consecrating our lives into God, it's so powerful. David Hogan said something that always stayed with me. He said, you know, if I can humble my soul in prayer and humble my body in fasting, he said there's nothing that God won't do that he promised he would do, right? There's nothing God won't do. But it, what did he put the emphasis on? He put it on humility. And so as we come in a couple weeks, it's all about posturing ourselves in humility before the lord we've spent the last two weeks in prayer and fasting we've been repenting of anything you've shown us we want to come together we're going to take communion together in a special way my wife and i will anoint you and then we're going to have water immersion for those that want to come and usually most people come and the presence of god is so strong in that water and there's been so many people tell me afterward I feel so different I feel so clean after this time of fasting and prayer and and you know uh, taking communion with you guys being anointed being immersed there's been testimonies of healings there have been testimonies of people delivered of things but what's really happening let's think about it what's really happening God is purifying the bride to get us ready to meet the Lord in the air there's a deep purification a deep consecration and also I might add that I believe it's like a purging, a purging of the gates overhead. Because the enemy tries to bring like a brass heaven. It's oppressed overhead. And as we've been doing these seasons of prayer and fasting a couple times a year, John 151, Jesus told Nathaniel, remember Nathaniel was surprised because Jesus told him, I saw you under the, the fig tree when he was praying or whatever. But Jesus said, very, very truly, I tell you that you're going to see a lot greater things than that. Look at what Jesus said. You're going to see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. There's something about an open heaven where angels ascend and descend. God's glory is there. And I've noticed on the other side of these seasons of prayer and fasting that we do, I come in after we went through all of that and it feels so clean here. 
And I'll tell you something else, it's purging the heavens because the enemy, the princes and powers over this region, as we purify our lives, it breaks the power that the enemy has over regions. Especially, you know, as you consecrate your life, an open heaven is a very private thing, a very personal thing, because as you're purified, the heavens are open over your life where there's provision, there's healing, there's breakthroughs, there's answered prayers. Is this making sense? And there can be an open heaven over a church, which is here in this place, and I believe that what we're doing has a lot to do with it. And so some things that came to me as I was preparing this sermon, because I mainly wanted to deal tonight with water immersion, and we'll deal with a few other things in the, the weeks to come. But I noticed that God's been putting kind of an emphasis back on things like this, water immersion. In these latter days, there's kind of a draw back. And I, I noticed that one of the great revivals right now that's happening in America seems to be centered out of Georgia. And there's been three different moves of God there. All of them have made the news, but this particular move of God in Dawsonville is centered around the baptismal. And I thought it was really interesting. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here because my wife and I went there. It was really powerful. The Lord's really moving. And there's been major testimonies. But that pastor there was seeking, the God, was seeking God, whether he was desperate for a move of God, he was hungry. And as he began to seek the Lord about revival and God really doing something in the church there, he said that he was in the church and he was praying. And he saw this vision of the baptismal there full of water in which it wasn't. They weren't doing baptismals frequently, but the baptismal was full of water, and he said there was this fire that was on the water. And so he knew that God wanted to start using the baptismal, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but as people were being immersed, major breakthroughs were happening, but let me come back to that. So as you look at the days from Moses all the way to Jesus, God used Moses, remember, to bring the law at Sinai. The law came into the earth, and God began to do a new thing. And under the law of Moses, there was a certain way that you came to a location and brought your offerings and all of that. But through all those years, those 1,500 years of the law, there were prophets down through the ages. You had Samuel, the beloved prophet. You had Elijah, a great revival you know, Elijah was just a revival ministry. And his, his uh, prophecies were happening during the days of Jezebel. Then you had, what, Elisha. And all the way down, you have all these prophets we've read about. And toward the end, before Babylonian captivity, you had Jeremiah. But right before Jesus was to begin his ministry, the last Old Testament prophet was a man named John. Has anybody ever thought about the fact he was the last Old Testament prophet? And he was a direct descendant of Aaron. You can see that in Luke because it talks about how his parents were of a certain order. And I don't want to get into all that. But John the Baptist was a priest by blood, but he was also a prophet. And Jesus said about him that he was the Elijah to come. In other words, there was some kind of a prophetic, like an Elijah mantle, if you will, on John. But it's interesting to me that right before Jesus was to come and begin his ministry, that God raised up an Old Testament prophet 
and the emphasis what we know about john when you talk about john what's the first thing that comes to your mind the baptist there was something there at right before the messiah was to come that god used an old testament prophet to put the holy spirit on him like an elijah and he preached fiery messages of repentance but he was calling people unto him to be immersed which was extremely common in that culture but there was something special through that anointing that was on John. As people humbled themselves, everybody say, humble yourself. As people humbled themselves and came, and they listened to the fiery sermons he was preaching, and they wanted to repent and get right, and they humbled themselves to be immersed by him, there was an anointing on John that was getting in that water with him as he was immersing people that was preparing them for the coming of the Lord. And here we are now, 2,000 years later, toward the end of what we know as the church age, and that age is about to come to a close, and we're in what the Bible refers to as the latter days. The coming of the Lord is very near. End-time prophecy is already happening all around us. And isn't it interesting that God is sending his fire back in the water again and drawing his people to be purified and immersed and deeply consecrated? There is a great preparation that's going on. I believe there's a call to this because of the nearness of the Lord's coming. And let me show you a few things in Scripture. In Luke 7, verse 28, it's kind of an obscure Scripture that a lot of people never have really probably paid attention to. But I want you to read this with me because I found it so interesting. Luke 7, 28. And it says this, it says, I say to you, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to a group of people. He said, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. So Jesus' cousin John, who was a descendant of Aaron, he was a priest, he was a prophet, and he was used so powerfully to water immerse the masses. Jesus said, there's no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he meaning that now that we're born of god because john was basically the last prophet in the last move of god that was going to be under the law now jesus was bringing a new covenant but look at this in verse 29 when jesus was preaching it says all the people and the tax collectors and that's a reference there of the heathen it says, all the people and the tax collectors heard this. They were hearing Jesus preach, and they acknowledged God's justice. Having been baptized with John's baptism. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves, having, not having been baptized by John. Can, do you see that? So what was happening was, that when Jesus stepped on the scene and he was preaching, there was people, and it says here specifically, even the tax collectors, even the, the, those that people would view as the worst sinners, Jesus was preaching and those people were accepting him and his message immediately. They were ready for it. They accepted it. But it says the Pharisees and the lawyers that were so arrogant, they looked at John and thought, I'm not going to be baptized by that guy. 
and they didn't go out there, they didn't humble themselves, they didn't get that preparation in their life, and because they were not ready for what was happening in their life, they did not accept the ministry of the Lord. Do you see that? Isn't that something? So there's something there of a preparation that was happening through immersion, through John's ministry, there was a preparation that God people, even the worst sinners of society, even the heathen, were ready when Jesus came that they could receive him immediately and receive his message. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's what we're dealing with. I want you to remember that the Pharisees, those that were prideful, the Pharisees were the most religious of the religious. Sometimes those that are so religious and have been in church for so long, sometimes they end up rejecting the moves of God and they miss major moves of God, major things God's doing in the earth, major things that could have changed their life because of their arrogance in their religion. They're set in their religious ways like a Pharisee and they don't humble themselves and they miss the move of God. And there's another reference to this in Acts chapter 19. Paul was going through Ephesus the second time through Ephesus. And there he was in Asia Minor. Now that part of the world today is called Turkey. And Asia Minor was like the eastern branch of the Roman Empire of that day. And from that branch, rulers ruled over the Middle East of that time. And so Paul went into Asia Minor and he was planting all these churches that you read about like Galatia and the, uh, you know, Philippi, etc. But when he goes into Ephesus here, this second time through, this is the greatest revival of Paul's ministry that we know of and it's recorded in Acts chapter 19. The Holy Spirit fell so hard during this time that the entire province of Asia heard the gospel for about a two-year period. So many people were getting saved. People were repenting. People uh, were turning from all the occult and witchcraft practices. And, and there were so many people turning from this. They brought all their occult paraphernalia. And, it, and they had to have a huge bonfire to burn it. And they counted up how much it cost. And it was a, a huge amount of money invested in those materials that they burned. But also there was such major healings and miracles happening through Paul that even handkerchiefs and aprons and cloths that, that he had prayed over and sent out to people because not everybody could travel if they were sick or something. They would take them back to where they came from and put them on people that were sick and they were major healings and miracles and people delivered. It was a major revival. But as Paul was coming into Ephesus at the very beginning and he's walking down the street into the city, he comes upon a group of about 12 men. And he knew that they were disciples, so he says to them, he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe because he was going to pray for them? But they said, well, we, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul says, well, what were you baptized into? And look at what they said in verse 3, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with water for repentance telling the people to believe on him who is coming after him that is in Jesus. And this is all it took. It says when they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. All it took was for them to hear Paul say that Jesus was coming after John, 
John said to believe in him. Basically, he's the Messiah. As soon as they heard it, they accepted the gospel right there. They had humbled themselves to be baptized by John, and they were ready to receive the gospel. And then it says, after that, after they were born again, after they were baptized into the name of the Lord, that's a born-again experience. In verse 6, it says, then Paul laid his hands upon them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. There were about 12 men in all. So isn't that awesome? So you see again a reference here of how water immersion prepared people spiritually to receive the Lord. So what you're dealing with, let me just kind of go through this real quick. What we're dealing with many times, this sermon is more toward the religious. You're dealing with religious strongholds. Let's read 2 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 4. The Apostle Paul here was talking to the Corinthians, and, and this is really an interesting scripture, and let's just take a few moments with it and really understand what it's saying. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So, I mean, automatically right there you see that there are actual weapons and there is a warfare going on, but it is not physical. It's not natural. In other words, it's not a war where you have knives and guns, different type of, you know, physical activity. So that's interesting. There's, there's weapons. There is a warfare, but it's not physical and natural warfare. It's spiritual warfare. And look at what he says. He says, the weapons are not of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So you think of strongholds, you almost think like castles. But it's pulling down those castles. And it goes on to say in verse 5, casting down imaginations. That's interesting. And so I want you to do something just for a moment. If you would, just close your eyes. And I want you, with your eyes closed, imagine for a moment a red apple. Now, imagine for a second a white horse. See, you're using your imagination. Now, you can open your eyes. So, Paul's saying there's something here in the realm of your mind and your imagination that can be against the Lord. There can be strongholds in that area of your mind. And these strongholds have to be brought down. You have to cast down these imaginations. And it says every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So you have the knowledge of God. But then you have these mindsets. These imaginations in the mind that are against the knowledge of God. They're in conflict. How many of you guys see that pretty common in our culture? There's a biblical worldview, there's a mindset that agrees with the word of God, and then there's the world's mindset that is against that. So there's this conflict there, and it all takes place in the mind. And Paul goes on to say that you have to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So 
there is a warfare. It's mental. It's strongholds in the mind that have to be brought down. And that's what you're dealing with when you deal with religious people. So let me just give you a few more things. I need to talk about that before I close this out. So the word there, imaginations, I looked it up in the Greek, and it's logismos, and it's where we get the word logic from. And so see, it translates there in the Greek, logismos, it translates like computation or reasoning. See, this is a human reasoning that is at, at odds with the wisdom of God. And isn't it interesting in Matthew eleven twenty five that Jesus said this. He began to praise the Father. Here he is ministering. And he looks up again. I praise you, Father. And he's worshiping the Father. And he says this. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to the infants. See, it all has to do with humility. See, those that are wise in the world's perspective, in the eyes of the world, many times, not always, but many times, the so-called wise of the world cannot humble themselves to receive the simplicity of the gospel. So whether it be whatever, you know, the professors, the, the scientists, the, those in different realms of society that, that are considered to be intelligent from man's perspective, many times the things of God are hidden from them. They're, it eludes them. They don't really understand them. They think they do. But it's revealed to the childlike that are humble. And then in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says this. It says, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. They don't understand the things of the Holy Spirit. They don't understand tongues. They don't understand the supernatural workings of God. They don't really even understand the Bible. They think they do, but they don't. All of those things seem so foolish to them. It's the natural man that's against the things of God. And he cannot really understand them because they are spiritually understood. See, you can, that's why I avoid debates. I can give scriptures that says to avoid debates, by the way. But I avoid all these realms of trying to win arguments with people. Because even if you win the argument, you're only winning it in an intellectual level. And somebody can even mentally agree that Jesus is who he says he is, and they can still end up in hell having never been born again. See, the thing is, this realm of intellect is one thing, but the Holy Spirit has to go deeper in people and change their heart. There's a lot of people out there, even in other countries, that are um, religious people. But it doesn't mean that they're necessarily born again and that they've been transformed on the inside. That is what it takes to get into heaven. Jesus said you must be born again. And so there's this realm there of the intellect. Now, let me just stop for a moment because I talked to the pastor and he's become a friend. 
And he's pastoring there in Georgia and he's seeing some pretty significant things. And it centers around the baptismal. So that's interesting. Because most revivals in history, as I've studied them, and I know you guys have too, the baptismal is just part of the revival. But this revival centers around it. So it's very different. It's very unique. And I asked him because I'm like, look, I know how religious people can be. And I said, how are you handling all the people that think that it has to be a certain way. And I'll give you some examples. You know, you have people that think like the communion table. They believe with all their heart that that has to be a certain way. You have to do it at church. It has to be administered by some type of a clergy. And it has to be done a certain way. And if you don't do it the way they think that you're supposed to do it, then it's wrong to them. Now think about the situation here. You have people that come from maybe backgrounds, really high church, maybe Episcopal, um, Presbyterian, whatever, and they come in and they were raised that way their whole life and they can only go by what they know and they've experienced in church. And to them, what they know is normal to them. And so they think, well, that's the way it needs to be. Then you get people that were raised, maybe, and I'm just picking you know, Baptist, and they were taught maybe against tongues and against certain things, and maybe they were taught that God doesn't heal today. And they grew up in church their whole life, and they saw the way the church services were from beginning to end hundreds of times. They went through the same thing, and to them, that is the way it's supposed to be. But it's very different than the Presbyterian. And then you got the person that was raised Pentecostal. Then you got this other person over here. You're starting to see where I'm going. So you got all these different people that think it's supposed to be their way. And it's all in conflict. And if you don't do it their way, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you see? And if you, in which we don't here, we don't live to please men. But if you live to please men, you're in a lot of trouble in this situation, right? Because you're never going to make all those people happy. And so what you're dealing with here is you're dealing with religious mental strongholds in the mind, imaginations of this is the way it has to be. No other way is right. The Lord will never go along with that. He's going to do what he wants to do because he's God. And so I asked this pastor, I was like, you know, there's people that view water immersion as being a once-in-a-lifetime thing, or maybe some have come from backgrounds that you sprinkle, which that's not biblical, or like infant baptism, which is not biblical either, and I'm not going to get into debating that, but it's just not. But you, you, then you get people that, well, it's this once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's sacrilegious to ever do it again. I was like, how do you deal with all this religious stuff? The, the people that have views of communion, people have views of, anointing with oil and they he said he's kind of laughed and said well you're facing the same problems i'm facing but he said here's the thing he said what i do is turn people to the fruit of the changed lives and that's all you can do and i thought that was really good and so we've seen that here we've seen people and i'm tonight i'm preaching on water immersion okay so let's just 
focus on that. But I've had testimonies of people in immersion that have been healed of things. Physically, mentally, emotionally. They've been delivered from dark things that are not of God. But in this particular revival, i just give you a couple testimonies. So in Dawsonville, where they're, they're doing water immersion, I mean, people are being immersed night after night or whatever. Right now, I think they're only doing it once a week. But there was a time they were doing it more frequently. But there was people that were getting in the baptismal, then in the baptismal, then in the baptismal, then it, you just over and over. And so looking at the fruit of it, he showed me, he breaks out his phone. And he said, I want to show you something. And he's showing me this, and he's going through his pictures. And there was a lady in there that had, had some kind of a CAT scan, MRI type of thing, whatever it is. And he showed me the picture, and all through her body were these little black dots uh, literally all through her body. You know, he's blowing up the picture. You can see riddled with these black dots. And he said that she was full of cancer. And then he says she came. And got water immersed. And she felt changed after that. She knew something had happened. And so she goes back to the doctor. And she goes back through the same thing again. It says, I want you to test me again. So they test her. They put her back through whatever that was. Some type of MRI casket thing. And then he flips over in his phone. He's like, now here's the after picture. And he goes to it. And there is not one black dot in this lady's body. And they said that she was completely healed. And they couldn't find any trace of cancer. How many knows there's no cure for cancer? And I mean, it was the power of God. And there was another story, and I can only tell two for the sake of time, but there's been so many people there that have been, you know, delivered and healed of things, just like here. So one young lady was a teenager, and I believe she was around the age of 14 or 15. But she was one of these that was really depressed, and she was a cutter. So she had a lot of marks up her arms where she had cut herself and on her thighs where she had cut herself with razor blades, knives, whatever. And she was real depressed. And so they brought her to this revival and she goes up to get water immersed. And the first time she got immersed, something had happened where she was delivered from whatever it was that was making her depressed and cut herself. She was delivered. That's awesome. That alone right there is an amazing thing. So that left, and then she came later a whole nother time. She came back to the move of God that she got immersed again. There was some kind of a inner healing that happened inside of her heart where she had been really wounded and stuff. There was some real significant inner healing that happened. Then she goes, she comes back a whole nother time, gets immersed all over again. The third or fourth time in the story, I don't remember the specifics, but he said that, you know, what they do is after they immerse you, you go down and you go back to a changing room where the ladies go one way and the men go the other. Well, she had went back to this changing room and they heard her screaming. And so some ladies run in to see, are you okay? And she's, she's happy and she's emotional because not only did God deliver her and heal her on the inside, but all of the physical scars on her arms and legs were completely gone. She had no scar in her body. It was gone. And so that was a pretty awesome story. And so I'm just giving you things that's happened in, in baptisms tonight. Healings, changed lives. 
But what the problem is, when I was talking to this pastor, I said, how do you deal with this? He said, well, point them to the fruit. But here, here's what he said. It's so true. And I've, I found this before he told me. I'd already studied this out for myself. But he said, look, he said, the problem is, is mindsets. Did everybody catch that? He said, the Western American church has made this into some kind of a religious ceremony that has no power it's just a mindset it's just a dead religious ritual how many knows that dead religious rituals have no power in them at all and so people come it's just some kind of a social gathering they take pictures you just go through the motions but there's no real power in it he said that's the problem mindsets imaginations strongholds mentally that it has to be that way and that's all that they've ever known and the sad thing is that there can be great power in all that we do in christianity but so many times see the devil knows the power of things like water immersion Y'all please hear what I'm about to tell you. The devil knows the power of it. And so he's trying to do everything he can to keep people out of the baptismal. And if they are going to get immersed, he wants it just to be some dead religious ritual with no power. But he is very much against it. And so the way that he works in that area is through religious spirits that traffic through strongholds of the mind. But see, in the Hebrew culture, and I studied this out, Christianity basically was a fulfillment of the faith that, um, of the Hebrew culture. It came out of, of Israel, came out of Jerusalem. Jesus being a Jew, that culture. Christianity sprung up in the soil of the Hebrew faith. Does that make sense? And so that's our roots, that's our heritage. And in the Hebrew culture, um, you guys know this because you've studied the word enough to know that water immersion was extremely common it was a personal thing i mean if people were around anything or or something happened to them that defiled them in any way they would go immerse themselves and be cleansed and it was just extremely common and i'll talk a little bit more about that as we go but there's something so powerful in that and the priesthood there was, it was common, I know in, in Israel, they, they told people when they began to go back into the land of Israel, they said, now, if you stumble upon something, you need to let the government know because people, you know, would buy property and then they would stumble upon artifacts and things in their backyard, right? Well, this lady was on the 700 Club talking about, she didn't really want to say anything because she was worried the government would take her house from her. But she apparently moved into a house that down in the basement had like a hewn out cement area where water used to be because it was a personal immersion for somebody that was a priest that would immerse at home and then go to be ministering in the temple isn't that something so she ended up buying a house that belonged to some descendant of Aaron that needed a personal um, immersion but all around the temple and it's still there to this day and recently actually there was such torrential rain in Israel that it filled up all of those mikveh pools. But back in the, the days um, that Jesus walked the earth, around the temple were all these pools that were full of water. 
and people would come there and would self-immerse to consecrate themselves. That was extremely common in the culture. And I believe that Satan knows the power of it and he's done everything he can to keep people out of it. And so let me just kind of close with a few things. I'll tell you a few stories and then we'll be done. So 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, now this is talking about the Jewish people here. He said, Paul was talking to the Corinthians. He said that our fathers of the faith, they were all under the cloud. Do you remember in the days of Moses and Aaron in the wilderness that there was a cloud that was over the nation. Remember that? The cloud would lift up off the Holy of Holies and move and they'd follow the cloud. He said this. He said they were all under the cloud and they passed through the sea. But here's the interesting thing. Remember how they passed through the Red Sea with Moses? In verse 2 it says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. The cloud speaks of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the sea speaks of water immersion. Have you ever thought about that? Paul basically understood that what Israel had was a picture and type of what was coming. They had the blood of the Passover lamb. They had to apply the blood to the doorpost of their home. But they were saved out of Egypt by the blood of the lamb. And they were immersed in water on their way out. Isn't that something? Well, he said that they were baptized in the cloud and the sea. In verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food, which was the manna in the wilderness, which is a picture and type of the communion table today. And they all drank from the same spiritual drink. That's the Holy Spirit. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. So out of Christ flows the Holy Spirit. And Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, we've all been given the same spirit to drink. But it says in, in verse 5, nevertheless, most of them, God was not well pleased with them. And they were laid low, they died in the wilderness. But isn't that something? They were baptized in the cloud and the sea. So with that said, I want you to think about something. The same water that baptized Israel through the Red Sea... You remember, because everybody's seen this in a movie or whatever, that same water closed behind them, remember that, and destroyed Pharaoh's army. And when that water closed, it formed a chasm between Israel and Egypt. I believe, personally, that's one of the great powers of water baptism is it helps separate you from your sinful past. And let me just say this disclaimer up front. I don't believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven at all. I never have believed that, actually. Remember the thief on the cross? He was with the Lord in paradise that day. He didn't get off the cross and run down to get baptized and get back on. So he died and went to heaven. The Bible says so. So I don't believe it saves you, but there is great power in baptism. And I believe that's why a lot of people still struggle with their sinful past, they're up and down, they struggle because they've never been water immersed. And even, see, I look at it like this. Water immersion is available 
for whenever you need it in life. I do not believe and never, I don't think I've ever believed really that it's some once in a lifetime thing and you can, you know, that's, that's totally unbiblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says that or even implies that. Water baptism is available when you need it. And so whenever people have gone through things, maybe they backslid, they got in all kinds of stuff, whatever, when they come back to the Lord, they need to get immersed. There's something about immersion that helps destroy, y'all please hear me, destroy your pursuing enemies. They'll die in the water. And it helps separate you from your past. There's great, number two, there's great protection in spiritual warfare. When you've been water baptized. Whenever you need it, it's available for when you need it. But it will separate you from your past and it will bring an added level of protection. So picture Israel goes through that water baptism. The water closes behind them and the water is in between them now and Pharaoh. There's, there's a protection. There's something that is separating them from their enemy that wants their destruction. There's an added level of protection around your life through water immersion. Y'all see that? In Exodus 29, and I should have put 1 John in here as well, but you can look it up. There's a scripture in 1 John that says, these three testify, the blood, the water, the spirit. And I'll probably have that in a, a future sermon since we're dealing with these things. But the blood, the water, the spirit. Now, the priesthood under Moses. Moses had to take Aaron and his sons and there had to be the ram of ordination and there had to be a sin offering. There was blood that was shed and that blood spiritually cleansed them from their sin. But after that, they were immersed in water and it was a deep priestly consecration. And then Moses anointed them with oil. Those three things, the blood, the water, the spirit, those three things had to do with Aaron and his sons being deeply consecrated as vessels of honor, if you will, to be able to go past that first veil into the holy place. And they would burn that incense before the, the Ark of the Covenant. I know there was a veil there between them and the Ark, but they were able to draw very near the Ark. But for them to get into that holy place where nobody else could go, only the sons of Aaron could go, they would be able to go closer to the Lord, if you will, go deeper because they were consecrated. I wonder how many people could get so much more deep in the presence of God and so much closer to him if they would humble themselves. I believe with all my heart, it all centers around humility. If you'll humble yourself to be consecrated before the Lord. And God will do a deep priestly cleansing in you. And then you'll find yourself going deeper in the Lord than you were before. There was a pastor, there was a great revival happened from 1995 to around, you know, 2003 to 5. But the pastor there, this revival in Brownsville, it was during the late 90s. 
John Kilpatrick, he stated this. He said, because back then, all these people were coming down to getting saved. And so whenever they got saved, they had to start having these Friday night baptismals. Now, understand, the presence of God was there. So that glory of God's presence was in that water. They would immerse people. People would be shaking under the power. Sometimes people would kind of be out under the power and they had to carry them out. But Brother Kilpatrick said this. He said there was a marked difference in people that had humbled themselves to be water immersed as opposed to those who didn't. He said those that were water immersed, they were much more stable in their Christian walk. It brought stability. I find it interesting. I'm going to give you a few things here before we close. I find it interesting that in the days of Naaman the leper. How many of you guys remember Naaman? I believe he's from Syria, if I'm not mistaken. And he had a young servant girl who was Hebrew. And she told him, she said, because he had gotten leprosy. And she told him, there's a God in Israel that can heal you. And so he's thinking, well, what do I have to lose? So he gets his caravan together. They go to Israel to see in those days what God was doing. He was doing through Elisha the prophet. So he goes to Elisha. Now, Naaman was a, a man of notoriety in the military. You know, he had access to the king of his nation. He was a man of prestige. And so he gets there, and Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him or anything. Elisha sends his servant out and says, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Well, Naaman kind of gets offended because back home, he's a big shot. And he's thinking, the guy not only doesn't come out to greet me, but he just tells me to go dunk in a river. And not only that, but the Jordan River isn't even the cleanest of rivers. And so he gets upset about it, and he's going to leave and not do it. How many knows pride versus humility? He gets upset. He wasn't going to do it. But one of his servants says, Naaman, if the man had asked you to do some great feat, you would have done it. How much more so when he says, just go dunk in a river? Seven times. So Naaman says, all right, fine. So he goes there. He goes to the Jordan River. And he dips himself seven times. On the seventh time when he came up, there was no leprosy on him. But I find it interesting that God used immersion to purge him and heal him. Did you ever think about that? Because Elijah, Elisha could have just spoke the word or whatever. Could have had Gehazi go out there and put his staff on him or something. You know, something that would have brought some kind of healing. But he brought healing through water immersion. There's something about water immersion that really purifies and cleanses. Remember, we read that in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, where it said, let's draw near to God, having our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. So there is a drawing near. There's some kind of a priestly cleansing. And so Naaman was so touched in his heart that the God of Israel healed him that he asked Elisha, he said, when I get back home, he said, I want to build an altar to the God of Abraham, to the God of Israel. And he said, can I please pack up as much dirt from here as I can get from the land of Israel and I'll put it on our mules and we'll take them back. And he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that dirt there at my house 
And on that soil, he said, I'm going to build an altar to the one true God. And Elisha said, go ahead. So he was so touched that he wanted to only worship the one true God after that. I find it also interesting that Jesus sped on the ground, made mud, and there was a blind man. And Jesus takes mud and puts it on the blind man's eyes and tells him to go wash his eyes with water in the Jordan. Isn't that interesting? And when the man humbles himself and he's washing with that water, purifying his eyes, so to speak, purging, you know, there's some kind of a cleansing there. But when he washes his eyes from that mud, his eyes are healed. Jesus could have healed that man any way. Could just put his hand on him. Could have just spoke to the eyes. Why is it that he used water? Also, isn't it interesting that in John 5, 4, there was a pool in Bethesda. And there was all these sick people that would come because every so often an angel would come down and trouble the waters there in the pool. And the first person in the pool was healed. So isn't it interesting that God once again used water immersion to bring healing? there's something about that i know in the days um there was a man by the name basil that rodney Howard brown's brother and he had come to minister for us a long time ago he was telling these stories and he said that there was a time that they had had a, a baptisms in their church and so he's praying for people people are hit by the power of god they're falling in the water they're immersing people and there was a guy that was there that his heart was so weak that his legs had actually started turning like a black color because they just simply were not getting the blood flow into his legs. He was extremely thin and he was extremely weak. And so some people had kind of helped him. He was walking really slow. He gets into the baptismal. Basil and them pray for him. He falls out under the power of God in the water. They pick him back up. He goes to his seat. He starts feeling different. Pretty soon he starts noticing his legs start changing color. And by the end of the story was this, that his heart was healed so much so that he had strength. His legs were completely restored back to normal. But all of that happened in the baptismal. There's something there that's so powerful. I remember a young man that I knew years ago grew up in a Pentecostal church. And he said that the baptisms there were pretty powerful at times and they had baptized a lot of people one time and and he said it kind of scared him because he was looking at the baptismal and it was up above the platform a little bit and you know how there's kind of a clear plexiglass and he's looking at them and he said to his shock he said in the bottom of that water he said it looked like some kind of a like a greenish weird ugly color and he said he knew that people that were being immersed and leaving, they were leaving something spiritually gross behind. And they were going without it any longer. I thought that was interesting. A few more things. Dick Rubin said this, and he's, he's got some powerful teachings. My brother Rubin is a, a Jewish man that came to know the Lord. 
kind of helped lay a lot of groundwork for the Brownsville revival. And he said this. He said, one of the best times to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is right after water immersion because it seems like they're really open to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said he, he was thinking about how Jesus, who was water immersed for a different reason, it was a passing of the priesthood, etc., which I don't have time to teach on. But as John immersed Jesus and he came up, the Holy Spirit came on Jesus. There is something about that. He was saying that that's a really good time to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's also, in Ephesians 4, through 25, there is a death and burial of the old man and a resurrection into the new. And in the Hebrew culture, it's simply called a mikveh, a personal immersion. Whenever somebody feels that something in their life has defiled them, there's a personal immersion. And it's interesting that in the Jewish culture, even to this day, that a bride-to-be before her wedding will have a personal mikveh, an immersion, to leave the old behind and to marry into that family. I believe that there's something that's going on in these latter days where God is getting us ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And two more things. Do you remember how Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Well, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, for the high priest to go in to minister in the Holy of Holies once a year on that day, he was able to stand there before the ark. He had to bring in the incense, a censer, and put it, and he'd fill that place with the incense. He, he would have to take the blood from the outer court, and he had to sprinkle it seven times. He'd be on that mercy seat here and set it down, and he would begin to pray. But for him to get into that Holy of Holies, part of his personal preparation was he had to be immersed in water, and he had to wash his hands and feet. And even the priests throughout the year, before they went into the holy place, had to wash their hands and feet. And those that know anything about the Hebrew culture know that around Passover and these other high holidays... When people came to Jerusalem, they would go to those different mikveh pools and they would immerse themselves to consecrate themselves before those feast days. They were being purified. And as Jesus, they had already, the disciples would have already done this. And as Jesus now is having the Passover meal, those of you that's had a Seder with us, you know this. At the very beginning, there's a washing of the hands. Then Jesus later on, kneels down here he is now moving into a priestly role and he's washing their feet which of course is humility and servanthood i don't want to take away from that but there's a deeper thing he was getting them ready for their holy of holies experience just like on yom kippur the high priest could go in to where the ark was but he had to be immersed he had to wash his hands and feet then there was a, a spiritual cleansing to help him come in like that Jesus was getting them ready to be able to go into the Holy of Holies of that day of Pentecost, baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire. Is that making sense? So, I close with this. Genesis 1.1. I find it interesting that in Genesis 1 verse 1, 
It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Holy Spirit was moving or brooding over the surface of the waters. Isn't that something? So even in creation, the Holy Spirit was on the water. He was moving in the waters. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to have water immersion for those that want to come. Now I want you to pray into it, and I want you to come with expectation. There needs to be a faith, because God is going to meet you in the water. He's going to help cleanse you from some things that need to be cleansed. God is going to break the power of the enemy that maybe that's been stubborn there coming against you. There's going to be healings. There's going to be breakthroughs. All right, let's go ahead and shut down recordings. Let me know when you got that done. You can just play that iPod if you want. For those that want prayer tonight, we're going to pray for you. I believe God to mightily touch you.